You're listening to our Southside Baptist Church podcast. For more audio content, please refer to our website. This is baptistchurch.com. Well, amen. I want you to take your Bibles and turn to the book of James, James chapter 3, as the children are beginning to make their way to their time together. James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. And I've titled this message today, A Wisdom That Matters. Now, let me, uh, let me say something here before I get into this message. Um, here recently on the news, we've had um, six law enforcement officers who just in an act of depravity and brutality um, did things that are almost beyond comprehension that human beings would do to another human being. And I had planned to speak to that today, but I just felt as if I was not prepared. Because I do believe that when we see this kind of abuse of the law and the abuse by law enforcement, it is the responsibility of pastors and churches to speak out, black or white, regardless of the denomination. But I also spent this morning with another family, an African-American family, whose son, an officer, was, was uh, in my opinion, put in jail for what is clearly an injustice, something that he did not do. He does not deserve to be in jail right now, and probably he's been placed there more because of this ideology, this left woke ideology that all of a sudden seems to be coming down too hard and also practicing injustice with the law enforcement. The church, the body of believers that is governed by a biblical worldview must be accountable to speak to both situations whether it's six law enforcement officers who clearly violated everything that law enforcement stands for, or a law enforcement officer who is put into prison, into jail when he does not deserve it, and it has been made clear through all the evidence that has come out. But because of culture and because of this left ideology, uh, he is where he is. You and I are called to be people of the book. We are living our life in a biblical worldview. We're not polarized based on the cultural whims that may up and down. We're not also basing our life on color or on anything. It doesn't matter whether it's black, white, or blue. We are people of the book. We make decisions and we govern world situations and issues that we face clearly on what the Scripture teaches. And so I may be looking at that a little bit more next week. But today we're in James chapter 3, beginning at verse 13. And we're talking today about a wisdom that matters. James chapter 3, beginning at verse 13. If you're there, give me a good, strong amen. Who is wise and understanding among you? Now notice, that's a question. Let him show it by his what? 
In the NIV, it says his good life. By deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, of the devil. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder in every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. Let's pray again. Lord, we thank you and we love you. And Lord, I pray that you cleanse me and forgive me of anything that may have come out of my mouth, gone into my eyes, into my ears, anything that would interfere with the preaching of your word. And I pray that not only for me, but for the hearts of every person who may be listening. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. I, I, I saw a quote on Facebook. In fact, it was put there by my son-in-law, Matt Scapel, who's also a pastor. I want you to listen to this quote. We are drowning in information while starving for wisdom. Did you hear that? It's a quote by Edward O. Wilson. We are drowning in information while starving for wisdom. What does that mean? What does it mean? What does it mean to be drowning in information but to be starving in wisdom? You know, I wrote down here, information can be acquired today very easily with hardly any effort. You know, years ago, let me explain. I'll, I'll be 68 my birthday. Years ago, when you were trying to get information, you went to a library, you went somewhere, and hey, listen, you just settled down. You just started pulling books everywhere. You began, I were, when I did my doctorate at Reformed, at RTS, a lot of times going into that library and literally becoming lost, disoriented almost, as if I were an alien on another planet, as I would begin to research, pulling down books, stacks of books, just laying them everywhere, taking a big, large dining room table and scattering them books everywhere and just absorbing myself in knowledge, I mean, in information. You know, that's how we used to do it. Today, if you want information, what do you do? You just pull your phone out. I mean, you have, in essence, as my daughter said one time, she said, Dad, you have a small laptop computer that is tuned into the website, to the Internet, and information now. You know, in fact, I don't ask my phone. My phone has never said to me, I'm sorry, I don't know. Or that's a good question. Let me think about that for a little while. I don't want to bring her name up. Because if I say, 
Siri. Your phones will start responding. Teresa's back there looking at her phone already, right? You know, information is that bad. But is that bad? Is it bad that we have information so easily obtained? And, uh, it, it, you know, is it, is it possible that it, it may do us an injustice by not having to kind of research and dig to find information? And what's even worse is that we confuse that information with knowledge. We think because we have that information, we're knowledgeable on a subject. My oldest daughter, you know, is a dentist. Right now she's practicing pediatric dentistry. She said, Dad, you don't know how many times people come for a root canal and they come and sit down and they've watched all these YouTube videos on how to do a root canal. And she said, they have the information, but if that's not bad enough, they try to tell me how to do it. They're asking about how I'm doing something. You see, that's the silliness of information because we've mistaken information for knowledge. You know, when we were missionaries, Southern Baptist missionaries, and we were going to Africa, you know, a lot of Africa is very primitive, very, uh, very simple. You live out in the bush, you can't call an ambulance, you can't run to the hospital. So we had a book where there is no doctor. And Ken, in that book where there is no doctor, it, told, it taught you how to do an appendectomy. It taught you how to do basic surgery. Now, I want you to know, I was a former paramedic, field medical officer. But when I looked at that, I thought, are you kidding? I couldn't imagine being in the bush with a primitive environment and trying to figure out how to do some simple surgery to keep gangrene from coming into one of my children and perhaps killing them. You know, we had information in a book, but we didn't have knowledge. Remember one time, remember one time Amy the one I spoke about a moment ago got choked on a, on a, on a, on a bone, on a chicken bone. And, Im, and immediately, Sheila and I, we were hysterical. Sheila was screaming, she's choking, she's choking. Well, we can't call an ambulance in Zimbabwe. We, we, we can't rush her to the ER. In that moment, I'm trying to figure out how to get a bone out of my kid's throat and to keep her from dying. I, we had good friends of ours, Dr. Glenn Neal. Glenn Neal's gone to be with the Lord. Glenn Neal was an ENT. He was an ear, nose, and throat doctor. He's very good at what he did. He moved to Zimbabwe. He moved to Africa because he was a hunter, an avid hunter. He lived there for 12 years. Glenn Neal and his wife, Kathy, Kathy was the U.S. Embassy nurse. When they went to, on a hunt out into the bush, they carried everything they needed to do surgery or to save the life of one of the, either one of them or somebody with them and most of all their one daughter that they had. I've seen video of him dropping a Cape Buffalo at a full charge and you could hear Kathy screaming in the background and he, would drop, he dropped a Cape Buffalo one time from here to that wall right there. We had a missionary kid who's, who was killed by a Cape Buffalo. 
Now, I say all that to say this. We had information. We even had a book. But we didn't have the knowledge to be able to do what was required. I could not do what Dr. Glenn Neal and Kathy Neal could do, nor could Sheila. And I didn't even think I could. But you take it a step farther, but it gets worse. Because sometimes we get information and we think automatically we're knowledgeable about something. Johnny is a registered, uh, he's a commercial grade electrician who works for Nissan. He can tell you, you can get on YouTube and you can get a lot of information about how to do a electrical work. But the reality is, if you and I don't have that knowledge that goes with that information, then the reality is, is we could kill ourselves, right? David also is an electrician. But if it couldn't get worse, it does because information and knowledge leads to something else, and that's wisdom. You know, Amy's been doing dentistry for a very, very long time. I remember one day she said, Dad, she said, pray for me. I've got a difficult extraction. Well, I thought to myself, that's easy. Just take the pliers and pull it out. And I said that. And she said, Dad, you don't understand. She said, the bone structure, the bone can actually hook around down into the jaw. And when you're trying to pull that tooth, if you're not careful, you'll break that bone off. Then you're talking about oral surgery. She said, it is precise and it has to be done a certain way. Now, what she was doing was she was saying, it's not just information. Listen, it's not just knowledge, but it's the wisdom of decades of doing dentistry and what I've learned and how I'm able to put that to work. That's wisdom. You've been doing electrician, electrical work long enough in a major corporation that you understand when a new person comes into that field, there is a lot of information that they have, but they don't have the knowledge and they don't have the wisdom. It's critical. Now, wisdom is critical to our lives. We've got to have it. And, and the Bible says this, Psalm 111, verse 10, said the fear of the Lord is what? It's the beginning of wisdom. In other words, when you and I fear God, when we live in an awe and a reverence of God, when we're living our life in that fear and that reverence and that awe in that respect of God, then we're going to have, we're going to acquire wisdom. Psalm 14, 1 said, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. They're never going to be wise. In fact, the Bible calls them a fool. In fact, turn back from James 3. Look at James chapter 1. Look at James chapter 1, verse 5. In James chapter 1, verse 5, what did James say? Man, he's hardly out of the gate good in this, in this book. He says, if any of you lacks what? If any of you lacks wisdom, he should do what? He should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. Now, let me look this way. Where does wisdom ultimately come from? It comes from God, right? And what does the Bible say? If you and I want wisdom, what do we do? We just ask for it. Now, let me ask you, is God kind of stingy with it? No. 
In fact, the Bible says that he liberally gives you wisdom. So if you said, you know, God, now I want wisdom. Now let me ask you, do you believe that? In fact, let me give you an example. Take a left and go over to 2 Chronicles chapter 1. All the way back in the, in the Old Testament. Go back there to 2 Chronicles. It's right after 1 Chronicles. 2 Chronicles chapter, chapter 1 verse 7. I think, I hope I'm right here. Now watch this. David has died. King David has died. Solomon is now the king. Everyone look this way real quickly. He's about 19 years of age. Now look at verse 7. That night God appeared to Solomon and said to him, Ask for whatever you want to give. Whatever you want me to, to give. What, God says, ask whatever you want me to give you. You know, I told Johnny Gooch, a friend of mine this week, we were talking about retirement, and he, and, and I, and he said, what, what would you want to do? I said, I, I always dream, I always dream of this. I always dream of Jesus showing up one day, and, I, and me and Jesus just sitting here like this. And Jesus looks at me and says, you know, Jeff, you've worked a long time, over 40 years in ministry. You've faithfully been doing what would you like? I'll give you whatever you want. You know what I'd say? Lord, I want a big sailboat, and I want to be out in the Caribbean somewhere, and I want to sail that boat, and I want to go from island to island, and I just want to rest, and I just want to write, and I just... Have you ever thought about that? Here's Solomon, has a meeting with God, and watch this. In, in, well, I just turned my Bible. Second Chronicles chapter 1, watch this. This is so powerful, and it gives us such a glimpse into God. That night God appeared to Solomon and said to him, Ask, you, ask for whatever you want me to give you. Solomon answered God, you have shown great kindness to David my father and have made him king in his, and made me king in his place. Now, Lord God, let your promise to my father David be confirmed, for you have made me king over a people who are as numerous as the dust of the earth. Now watch this. I underline this. Give me what? Give me wisdom and knowledge. Notice the order there. You need wisdom to be able to handle the knowledge. God give me wisdom and knowledge that I may lead this people for who is able to govern this great people of yours. God said to Solomon, since this is your heart's desire and you've not asked for wealth, riches, or honor, nor for the death of your enemies, and since you've not asked for a long life, but for wisdom and knowledge to govern my people over whom I've made you king, therefore wisdom and knowledge will be given you. Wow. Now he went on to give him everything else. So what does that tell us? That tells me this. That if I want wisdom, I need to ask God. I need to ask God believing, and the Bible says God will give it to me. Now, what is wisdom? What is wisdom? You ever think about that? Is wisdom something you get with age? Is, is wisdom something that you, uh, you know, you just acquire through life? 
Is that the wisdom he's talking about? Now, I want everybody to listen closely. We're gonna, I'm going to do what I do sometimes on Wednesday nights because this is a term I want you to understand. The theological term is transcendent. Okay? Say that to your neighbor. Transcendent. Okay? Now, think of it this way. Let's say that that wall there and that wall and all this room here on this floor is time, space, and matter. This is the universe. This is creation. Everybody listen. Transcendent. God is transcendent means that God is outside of time, space, and matter. Now, everybody listen. When Moses asked God on Mount Sinai, what is your name? What will I tell the people when they ask me who sent you? What am I going to tell them? What did he say? I am. Now, everybody listen. Because God is outside time, space, and matter. He's outside of his creation. Everybody listen closely. He is the forever present tense. I am. He sees, now listen, this is critical. Ethan, listen to this. He sees your life from the very beginning of your first breath to your last. Everything's present tense. He sees it all. So that's wisdom. Now listen, wisdom is when I say, God, I want to see my education, my job, my choice of a, in marriage, my raising of my children, my career choices. God, I want to see all of that from, a, from your vantage point. That's what wisdom is. I'm able to see my life and especially the people that I love. And so I'm asking God, God, let me see their life, my life from your vantage point. Does that make sense? Now, let me tell you, you remember Jacob, Jacob's ladder? Again, going back to Wednesday nights, the Jew believed this. If you walk outside right now, the Jew says that blue sky is the first heaven. If you go out tonight and you see the stars, the Jew says that's the second heaven. But you know what the Jew also said? He said there is a third heaven. The universe is stretched out with a simultaneous point of beginning. Radiation ripples that moved out have helped our scientists to understand that there came an instantaneous moment when creation began, and in a peak a second, there was such order and complexity that it is a supernatural miracle. It could only be an act of God. God spoke from his vantage point, There's creation. And when I say, God, I want your wisdom, what I'm saying is, God, I need to be called up into the third heaven. Jacob saw a ladder, then he saw a door that went up into the third heaven. Paul said in 2 Corinthians that the thorn that he had in his flesh was to humble him because Paul said he had been called up into the third heaven and had seen things that he could not put into words. John the Beloved, John the Beloved on the Isle of Patmos, you remember what God said? He said, John, come up here. 
And in, in Revelation chapter 4 and 5, John is now in heaven from God's vantage point, And God says, John, I want to show you the end of time and how everything is going to end. Wisdom is when you and I are able to make decisions based not on our understanding of the situation. It's based on God's. God's understanding. Let me give you an example. When we, when we lived in Zimbabwe, no, when we lived in England, we lived down in Cornwall, England, down in the southern part of England. And you've heard me tell this story, but this is critical. This taught me a lesson I've never forgotten. Sheila and I and our mission team stayed at the Queen Mother, the Queen of England, the Queen Mother's sister's castle. It was an unbelievable experience. I mean, we played Clue in a castle, and they hosted it. It was unbelievable. It was an experience that we'll never forget. They had a massive hedges, taller than, I mean, way up, tall as no telling what. There was no way to jump up and see over them. And it was a maze, all kinds of corridors, dead ends, and it was a maze. And our four kids decided that they wanted to go down there and get into that maze. They got into that maze. Sheila and I are up in the room, and we be up in that castle. And all of a sudden, we hear our kids, they're starting to get desperate. We can hear fear in them, and, and they start crying out for us. We open, you can open the window. We open the window. We were probably two or three, well, probably three stories up in that castle. We were looking down in that maze. They looked up, we shouted to them. They looked up, and they did their hands like this, help! They were tired. They were ready to get out of this maze. And no matter what they did, they couldn't find their way out. And we looked at him. We said, stop. Sometimes that's what God tells you and I to do. Stop. Don't do nothing. Stop. Look at me. And we're shouting, look. Go to your right. So they start walking. Four little heads moving in that maze. Stop! Don't go right, go left. Left! They turn left. Four little heads moving. They're coming along there. And we're guiding them all along the way. Every step they're taking, every move. And all of a sudden, as they see the opening to come out of that edge, they start shouting and celebrating in that moment. My friend, that's what it means to have God's wisdom. We are listening in prayer, in His Word, to God guiding us through this lost, depraved world system so that we're not only surviving, we're thriving. You're making a relationship decision, and God says, Stop! You're making a decision about career. God says, stop. I was telling our men, Teddy Roosevelt, when he was a young man, was a teacher. And one day a boy came into the classroom and he had a black eye. Now this was linked with Christ church. It was a Christian school, regimented, very much about Christian principles. And Teddy Roosevelt, this young teacher, looked at him and said, uh, how'd you get your black eye? 
He said, well, there was a bully, and he was picking on my sister. And, uh, and I got tired of it, and I got in a fight with him, and he gave me this black eye. And Teddy Roosevelt looked at him and said, good for you, son. Have a seat, and started back with the class. The elders, the board of elders of Christ's church called him before the board, and they fired him. They said, that's not, the, that's not the kind of teaching that we want to. We don't want that. And it said that Teddy Roosevelt went back to Harvard. He finished up his schooling there. And anyone who knows him knows that he became one of the great presidents of this country, Teddy Roosevelt. In fact, he had a sign on his desk that said, the buck stops here. He was a no-nonsense straight shooter. You see, sometimes you and I may look at things that are going wrong in our life or it seems confusion and sometimes God is looking at us lost in that maze and God is saying, just stop. I want you to stop. I want you to pray. I don't want you to do anything. I want you to wait and listen to me and I'll give you direction. That's wisdom. That's what James is talking about here. Does this mean that we don't play a part? No, that's not true either. Hey, listen, wisdom is transferable. Sometimes you and I are in that maze and we've learned some lessons and we're able to take that wisdom that we've acquired and tell somebody else. I was reading, I was reading a, a man by the name of Taylor Branch. You may not be familiar with Taylor Branch, but Taylor Branch wrote a three-volume three Pulitzer Prize winning account of the life of Martin Luther King Jr. and the Civil Rights Movement. Taylor Branch made this statement. He said, our son, Franklin, who was born weeks before my first trip to Lorraine Motel in Memphis, Tennessee. And if you're not familiar, that was where Dr. King was killed. He said, our son Franklin, who was born weeks before my first trip to the Lorraine Motel, finished college in time to help me with my final research. When I read that, I thought to myself, wow, it was a family affair. His son, his son would learn under his dad, who also won the National Book Critics Circle Award, his son would learn about the life of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. He had learned about the civil rights movement in a Pulitzer Prize winning work because he and his dad were researching together. And you listen to Taylor Branch, it was as if his boy, even when he was newly born, he was taking him through that journey and that process. Parent, that's why wisdom is so important. You are transferring the wisdom that God has given you into the life of your children. Writer of Deuteronomy, Moses said, it's along the gate, it's along the way. When you walk, when you sit, when you eat, it's a journey of transferring that wisdom. And the reality is, is that I am about out of time. Because what I want to do, and we'll do it soon, what I want to do is take you to Acts 27 and show you two wisdoms side by side. Now, we don't have time to do that today. But in Acts chapter 27, you remember the apostle Paul is on a journey. He's on his way to Rome. He's a prisoner, and he's with other prisoners, and they're on this ship. And rather than staying in port in Acts 27, and you remember what Paul said real quickly. Paul told him, he said, listen, 
you don't want to set sail. This is not the season to set sail. He said, I've been praying to God, and God said, don't set sail. And you know what they did? The owner of the ship, the captain of the ship, and the crew of the ship overruled Paul. They said, listen, this praying little Jew, he doesn't know what he's talking about. Now let me remind you that Paul had a lot of experience in selling. A sh he knew a lot about ships. Luke was a maritime doctor. It's believed that Luke was a doctor on ships. And Paul said to the crew, and he said to the captain, he said to the owner of the ship, he said, listen, you don't want to sail. I prayed. God said, don't sail. It's not the season to sail. You stay in port. It doesn't matter what the weather, and it doesn't matter what boat you've taken with the crew. But you know what? They didn't listen to Paul, did they? And the next thing you know, they're in a violent storm, and they are about to die. And you know what the Apostle Paul does? Listen to what the first thing Paul said. I told you so. In other words, they were in the wrong part of the maze. They were outside God's will, God's purpose, God's plan. And God's plan was to get Paul, was to, get Paul to Rome. So Paul says, he says to the ship captain in the middle of this storm when people are scared to death and they think they're, they're screaming, thinking they're getting ready to die, they're getting ready to jump on the life, they're going to kill the prisoners, get on the lifeboat and get off the... And Paul said, you don't want to do that. Paul said this, listen, I told you so. You didn't listen to me. That's why we're in this storm. But let me just go ahead and tell you right now, Nobody needs to leave the boat. We need to stay on the ship. No, nobody need to get on no lifeboat. You don't need to do anything. And oh, by the way, let's have a good meal and let's eat because God said we're going to get spared. God's going to take care of all of us if you will listen to the man of God. And guess what happened? I think it was 243. They all survived. They all made it. Why? You know, sometimes we have to say, I told you so. You ever do that? You ever look at somebody and say, you know, I love you, but I told you so. You see, Paul's wisdom was God's wisdom. Because you know what, Paul, listen, and I'll pray. Paul, what, it, what Paul, look, this is what Paul was doing down here. He was down in that ship. He wasn't like Jonah asleep out of the will of God. He was in the will of God. He knew he was going to Rome. Paul is down here saying, God, I need your wisdom. I need your counsel. Lord, I need you to use me on this ship. Help me to be the salt, light, and yeast. God, help me to know what to do. You know what Paul's doing in that moment? Hey, Paul's not down there. Paul's up here. Lord, I, I don't know. I don't know what kind of guidance I need to give this ship captain and this owner of this ship. God, I don't know what to tell this crew. God, I know you have me on this ship, and I know I'm, you've got to get me to Rome, and I know I'm not going to die on this ship because you've still got much you want me to do. But God, I need to know what to say. I need to know what to do right now. And God says, listen, you tell them not to, not to go. He, gets, he comes back up here. God, they didn't listen to me. God says, I know they didn't listen to you. Go back down there and tell them you told them so. Okay, God, I'll do that. Now what? You tell them, not, don't nobody get on the lifeboats. Stay on the ship. All of you stay together, and you'll be fine. You'll be saved. 
And you know what Paul did? Paul said that. You didn't listen to me. I told you so. But hey, listen, if you listen to me now, you'll be spared. That's you and I. We're down here in the maze. But our commander-in-chief, the flight tower, he's up here. And he's telling us in this maze every decision, where to go, what to do, just like you'd be walking through here. Right? Let me close with this. When, uh, when, I wrote, when I went to all 50 states and went seven times around all the Capitol buildings, when I was flying out of Seattle, I was going to Honolulu. And when I walked into the Seattle airport, there were two African-American girls standing at the counter of the, of the airline that I was flying, and it was Honolulu. And, 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 I, and they were crying. And they were trying to get out of the flight. Well, I had Priceline my flight. There wasn't no getting out of it. You don't get out of a Priceline deal. So I walk up there, and they're crying, and I think they were able to do it because they didn't Priceline, which means a bargain seat. So they're up there, and they basically uh, are crying. And, and when, they got out, when they got out of the flight, I, I went up to them. I said, what, what's going on? Why, why are y'all upset? I knew there was some stormy weather in Honolulu. They looked at me, listen to this. And I'm coming to the end of God's will for my life, which was to pray and walk every capital. They looked at me and said, there's been a volcano eruption, an earthquake, and there are two hurricanes, one behind the other, hitting Honolulu. Now you want to know who's crying? Hey, I, I'm serious. This is <laughs> Sheila. <laughs> Could we spare 500 plus dollars? Could we just throw it away? And Sheila talked to me. She said, you know, God, God, God puts you on this. God's not going to let anything happen to you. That's easy for you to say. <laughs> hey, but Sheila was doing this. Sheila was talking to the tower. She was talking to the commander-in-chief. She was talking to the one who controls the weather. And so I get on the plane, and I get on the plane with my Bible. All I got is my Bible. And I get on, my pl I get on this plane, and I'm walking through first class, and there are two gay men. There are two gay men that are sitting there together, and they're all hugged up and huddled up, and they're, they're kind of teary-eyed. There's a grandmother who's behind me, and she taps me on the shoulder, and she says, uh, she basically said, are you afraid? She said, I'm going to see my grandchildren, but I'm very scared. I turned and looked, and it's one of those moments when God echoes your voice. I turned and I said, ma'am, I said, I'm a former missionary, former chaplain in the army. I said, God told me to walk off 50 capitals. I said, I've got to do Honolulu, then I'm going through Denver, but I'm finishing up. I said, this plane will be fine. You know what the two gay guys did? They all of a sudden started shouting. They looked at me and they said, man, thank God there's a man of God on this plane. And I looked at, hey, look, I looked at all of them, first class. I said, we'll be fine. Everything's going to be all right. God's got to get me to Honolulu. i got to walk this capital. And listen, I started walking the capital in a storm. And by the second lap, sun came out, sky cleared. It was absolutely beautiful.
You don't think we serve a great God? And if an earthquake, tornado, or, or hurricanes, or whatever, I don't even know. I didn't see any of them. In fact, I'm like John and Emily. I had a good time in Hawaii. And let me tell you, when you're plugged in to the wisdom of a mighty sovereign God, you know what it says? You know what the old statement is? You may be in the furnace, but he has his hand on the thermostat. God, tell me what to do, and whatever it is, I'll do it. Let's stand. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that you love us. We thank you for time and your word. Lord, really didn't even get to the book of James yet. We've just kind of gotten to the introduction, Lord. Just to the introduction of this passage that James talks about wisdom and real wisdom, spiritual, godly wisdom compared to that of the world. Lord, may we learn that every morning when we get up, we need to check with the tower. We don't ever want to be a plane. I would never get on a plane where the pilot said, well, look and see if anything's coming. We're getting ready to take off. No. I love those pilots to say, well, we've been cleared from the tower for takeoff. I love that. May we learn as Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ, may we learn that whether we're parenting, whether marriage, whether school decisions and academics, whether jobs or whatever it may be, where to live, what to do, may we always take a moment to contact the tower to say to our Lord and Savior Jesus, Lord, what do you want me to do? You're looking at this maze. I'm listening to you. Now tell me which way to turn. Now, Lord, if there's someone here that's never given their life to you, they don't have no contact with the tower. The only cry they can have right now is through repentance. Simply cry out and say, Lord Jesus, forgive me, come into my heart. And in that moment, in that very moment, feel the presence of the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit in their heart in that moment, cleansing them and all of a sudden putting them in touch with the Father. May we never forget that before the cross, there our Savior in Gethsemane spent time talking to the Father. So Lord, whatever decision we face, and even now, speak to our hearts, and we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.